Praise God. Uh, if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. We've been working through Ephesians, and we, we've come now to the fourth chapter. Been in it a little while. We're getting pretty well through it. We're in the last portion of it. We're beginning to move in that way. But today we're going to look at a couple of verses because there's so much there. We're going to start at verse 25 and then work our way, Lord willing, through verse 27. So let's hear the word of the Lord from Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 25. Oh, you're seeing here who's checking in on the on the Internet. Thank you. Good to, good to hear from you guys. Uh, okay, chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Amen. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we ask you to bless your word to us now, and I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we come to these verses. What we have here, you know, we know that, they, as I said before, and I'm not the first to notice this, it's been noted since really, we might say ancient times, that the first half of Ephesians, chapters 1 through 3, primarily are concerned with doctrinal truths, the great truths of the Christian faith, what it means that we've been elected by God sovereignly. We've been called out of a state of spiritual death into life. We've been called unto good works. And it's all because of Jesus Christ. Christ removed the partition that separated the Jews from the Gentiles in the church so that there's no longer in the church Jew and Gentile. It's the body of Christ, Christians. Uh, the Christians were first named that in Antioch in the book of Acts. We read about that. Uh, the, Christian, they were, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch, some have said that it was a term of derision, but actually the Greek word there when it says they were called that, it's a word that means divinely called. So the name Christian is not something to be shunned. It is, I believe, appointed by God. God said in the Old Testament even to Israel that the time would come when he would call his servants by a new name. And I believe that name is Christian. So we are called to be Christians. These great truths are set forth in the first three chapters. In the second half of the epistle, verses, uh, chapters rather, four, five, and six, deal with the application of those truths. And we come here now, really, in uh, uh, verse 25, where Paul begins to make application. If we go on to the end of the book, we would find that there's actually about, I went through and counted, how many things, how many commands does Paul actually lay on us uh, in regard to the truths that he set forth? And uh, there's 37, but if you count the ones in these verses, there's 40 of them. So there's about 40 things that Paul says, okay, now that you know these things, here's how it ought to be affecting your life. Here's what you ought to be doing, okay? It's like the uh, Ten Commandments in one sense. We see that division in Ephesians, that, you know, the, uh, the uh, first commandments, first four commandments, the first table of the law tell us what our duty is to God. And then the next six, the second table is generally understood or called that. I have to do with our uh, duties toward our fellow man, how we're to behave ourselves. You know, we're to honor our parents. We're not to commit murder or adultery or lie uh, or covet other people's property, et cetera, et cetera. But the first commandments tell us, here's your relationship with God. Here's the, the, the 
lines that he wants you to walk in, you know, like lines on a freeway. Stay between these and you'll get where you want to go. Uh, we don't. That's why we have a Savior, because we've broken God's law. We've crashed the car, you might say, but Christ came and delivered us, pulled us out, and he's the one that kept the law for us. But nevertheless, the law is now being written in our hearts. So that's how the first half of Ephesians is. So we have all these commands. And uh, we'll be going through them. Some of them are united. That is, some of them are connected very closely. So we can go through and take them as a whole. And these verses here are definitely, there's a, a, a connection between them. The first one, verse 25, uh, Paul says, Okay, if this is true, that you to put on that new man who's created according to God in true righteousness and holiness, as he says in verse 24. Then he says, therefore, okay, remember the word therefore is saying based on what's been said here's now what we need to learn therefore putting away lying let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor he said to put off the old man he's like well what exactly does that mean how do you put off the old man? well put off lying tell the truth one thing interesting about that i've noticed over the years in myself and others you know because when we're little kids we think we're in trouble we have a tendency to try to create our own reality with our words. You know, we try to act like we're God. We think that, well, God spoke and called the universe into existence. So I'll try to use my words to reshape reality. Even though I did throw a rock through a window, I'll say I didn't. And maybe that's what will happen. Okay. It doesn't work. But when you're young and foolish and your heart is corrupt, you might rely on lying sometimes to weasel out of things. Sometimes it seems to work, doesn't it? You know, because you have people that are honest enough that they might actually think you're honest, but then it blows up in your face and eventually you learn, got to tell the truth. It takes courage to tell the truth. I always appreciate what the humorist Will Rogers said back in the first part of the 20th century. He said he always told the truth because he had a bad memory. And that's, we don't have to, what did I say to this guy last time? Okay, what did I tell mom and dad? You didn't have to do it. Just, if you tell the truth, the story's going to be consistent. And, uh, so sometimes having a bad enough memory to make you tell the truth is a good thing. But it, it takes courage to be honest, it, particularly if it's, you know, did you do that? And it's like, like, you know, Adam in the garden, he was a little slow, wasn't he? He said, oh, that woman that you gave me, she gave me of the fruit of the tree. And I mentioned this before, and I love it. It's a really good point for parents. Just let your kids keep talking. You know, it's, it's feeding them the rope as they're tying it into a noose for themselves. Eventually, they hang themselves. And then, like Adam, what was the last thing he said? And I did eat. And that's what God was waiting for him to say. And then when he asked Eve, what did she say? The serpent, the serpent beguiled me. And he let her keep talking. And she said, ended the same way. And I did eat. So God brought them to confession. And their sin was punished. He also dealt with them very graciously that day in providing them with coats of skins and entering into a, a covenant with them that uh, she would have children, be with pain, but he, he wasn't going to kill them that day. And Adam would you know, grow crops in the sweat of his brow, but that many wouldn't be dead. But there was a death that day, and those animals that died to provide the coats of skins. That was a picture of what Christ was going to do. Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. But it takes honesty to tell the truth without being compelled. Now, Adam, God say, God just let him keep talking. And if it wasn't for God's grace, Adam would have probably been, if he was kept alive up to this day, he would be still in the garden lying to God, trying to weasel out of what he'd done. 
but that didn't happen. God didn't let it happen. So remember that when you're afraid, when you're tempted to lie, speak the truth. And Paul says the reason why is we are members of one another. Okay, be honest with each other. So learn to speak the truth. Now, you know, God's word is truth. Jesus, remember John 17, 17? one of the most helpful verses in scripture and one of my favorites when Christ prayed for our sanctification, he said, father, he said, uh, in verse 17, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. What is truth? The word of God. God's word is true from the beginning to the end. We can trust it. And so we're members one of another. We should be speaking the truth. Now that doesn't mean every time you open your mouth that you have to be quoting a verse from the Bible. Personally, I don't think that would be such a bad thing, okay? be nice if it happened a little more often than it does. But it does mean that when we speak, it should be in accordance with what God's word says. And it should be to honor God and to edify others. And that brings us to the next thing. Because in being honest, we also have to be kind. You know, honesty. Some people we say, oh, he was brutally honest. They're like, well, what does that mean? Well, that means he was pretty mean, what he said, okay? Okay. Um, Sometimes we say things that we can go, well, it was true. Yeah, but the way you said it was wrong. Uh, We need to be gentle with one another. And that's what he's saying. For we are members of one another. And then verse 26, I I think verse 26, in my personal opinion, if I may share that, that this is one of the most interesting verses in the Bible. Because, first of all, it's generally misunderstood. It says, be angry and do not sin. Most people say, "What what do you think that means? They would say, well, it, it means that we shouldn't sin and get by getting angry. You know, that's not what it's saying. The first two words, be angry, and it's plural, by the way, in the original. The old King James brings that up. Be ye angry. Y'all, that's the old form for y'all. Be ye angry and do not sin. The first part's a command. Augustine pointed this out. I've preached on this before. Some of you may remember years ago when I preached on it. He's telling them, get angry. And many look at what God telling us to get angry. Well, someone said, well, it's kind of a command of permission. Yeah, no, it's a command. Be angry. So God wants me to be angry. And some people that have anger problems go, oh, good. I've been doing that all my life, you know, or, you know, et cetera. That's not what he's saying. First thing he's saying is be angry and sin not. I love what uh, Augustine of Hippo said about this or Augustine, if you're highly educated, uh, that's what you call him. Uh, He said that if we would learn to be angry at the right things, we wouldn't sin so much. Okay, because it's saying get angry and literally stop sinning. That the second one is also a command. Be angry and don't sin anymore. Stop sinning. So he's saying that if you get angry and you should, you'd stop sinning. So he's not telling you to go around with an angry attitude or be angry at people or break out in anger and yell at people. He's not, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, y'all need to get angry, if I can put it in a colloquial form. Be angry. It's a command. But then there's a, 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 a catch put upon it. There's a restraint put upon it. Be angry. It's not always wrong to be angry. Jesus got angry at one point in the Gospels. It says that uh, when the, the, he saw the hardness of their hearts, it says the Lord was angry. Clearly, God gets angry. It says the Lord is angry with the wicked every day in the Psalms. And so anger can be good. It can be a a righteous thing. Uh, When Paul is quoting this here, when he says, be angry and sin not, he's actually quoting Psalm 4.4. And the Septuagint reflects exactly what Paul said in the first part. The uh, Psalm 4.4 in the English translation from the Hebrew is tremble, 
and sin not. This is Psalms 4-4, Psalm 4-4. Tremble and sin not. In other words, what does tremble mean? Paul understood that to mean get angry. The Septuagint translators, the Septuagint, by the way, is the Old Testament that was translated from Hebrew into Greek in the 3rd century B.C. And the Septuagint, sometimes you hear that referred to, that was basically the Bible, which was the Old Testament, of the Greek-speaking uh, Jews and out among the synagogues that were planted in Gentile areas. Because the Rome, by the time of the Roman Empire, Greek was the what we call the lingua franca of the Roman Empire, which means the French language, but it means the language that everybody spoke. Um, and so that became the common tongue. And so the Septuagint was the early church's Bible of the Old Testament that is uh, among the Gentiles. And, but the Jews used it also. But because the Christians were using it often to show and witness to them that Jesus really is the Messiah of Israel, uh, the Jews quit using the Septuagint as much and just said, oh, well, if you, you Gentiles don't understand the Hebrew text, because if you understood the Hebrew, then you wouldn't believe in Jesus. So the Christians studied Hebrew and said, yeah, we still believe in Jesus because it teaches the same thing. Um, and so that's been the historical controversy for a long time. But Psalm 4.4 from the Septuagint actually says what uh, Ephesians says, be angry and do not sin. But then the second part is very interesting because that's where it says um, in the Hebrew, examine your own heart upon your own heart upon your bed and be still. So the idea tremble in the Hebrew, the idea tremble and don't sin. In other words, really reflect on your way. The uh, uh, Septuagint, actually, that whole verse of Psalm 4-4 is, Be ye angry and do not sin. The things you are saying in your hearts upon your beds, be vexed, be troubled by, or be confounded. In other words, uh, search your hearts and deal with your sins is what it's saying. It's not a, not a bad verse. So Paul in reflecting that first part or quoting, he's either quoting it or Septuagint just got it right the same way Paul by inspiration obviously did. Uh, be angry, but do not sin. So we have this command to get angry, but the uh, Bible has a lot to say about anger. First thing we need to notice is the righteous indignation is a good thing and it's to be commended when it's just and in accordance with the revealed will of God set forth in Holy Scripture. Yet the corruptions of man since the fall of Adam and the propensity of our sinful hearts to go to excess in our passions demands that we keep a close check upon our tendency toward anger and a guard upon our tongue to keep us from dishonoring God and harming others by foolish outburst of anger and sinful wrath. Ecclesiastes 7.9 says, Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry for anger rests in the bosom of fools that to me was a pretty convicting verse if you're going around angry if you're mad over something or just holding a grudge or you know becoming uh well the scripture warns about a root of bitterness forming in us anger rests in the bosom of fools so guess what god says you are if you're allowing anger to abide in your heart you're a fool. And that word, by the way, in Hebrew is that word that means an atheistic fool, not just a silly person. There's a lot of different words for fool in Hebrew. Uh, this is the one that means the bad kind. Of, well, it's all bad, but this is the really bad one. This is the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And that's why we say it's atheistic and uh, it's very sinful. Uh, Jacob was 
uh, concern his, his two sons that killed the inhabitants of uh, Shechem when uh, Prince uh, Shechem had violated their sister and then uh, Simon, uh, or Simeon rather, and Levi went in after they convinced the men to become circumcised that on the third day they went up and killed all the males in the city. Uh, Jacob later said, Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. Again, the Ecclesiastes, remember that. Don't be hasty in your spirit to be angry, uh, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. So there can be a good anger. Scripture tells us that you know we're to be slow to anger. But if we are angry, it needs to be short-lived. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, well, let's look at this because this definitely informs the passage we're looking at. Uh, in Matthew chapter, uh, I wrote down five of my notes. I think it's chapter 15 though, actually. Let me see. Maybe it is five. Uh, yeah. Chapter five, well, this is what happens when I don't write the verse out fully in my notes. I apologize. Okay, it gives us an opportunity to all look it up together. Okay, yes, here we go. Um, note, note how this comes up, all right? In verse 21 Jesus of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. So this is coming under the heading of the commandment, thou shalt not murder. You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment, obviously. Note, verse 22. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, and that means one given over with no hope of redemption, shall be in danger of hellfire. So Jesus is saying, if you watch your tongue and your attitudes. But note, he says, whoever is angry with his brother, but then he says, without a cause. That's what gets you into trouble. So, you know, the problem with people that have a problem with anger, and by the way, in Galatians chapter 5, when Paul names off the works of the flesh, he mentions anger. Obviously, sinful anger. Galatians 5, 19. Uh, there we read, now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness. This is a pretty sad list. Lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outburst of wrath. Note that, outburst of wrath. Selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, evil murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if those things mark your life, you're on your way to hell because Christ came to save his people from their sins. And if you say, well, I do have a problem sometimes with anger. And there's a couple other sins listed in that list there that I think I have problems with also. You have a savior. His name's Jesus. You are still struggling with sin fight against it you know if you say well you know okay certain sins you have to break off okay certain sins are besetting sins you, you know if you're committing adultery stop you don't get to taper off on that one okay stop doing such things all right uh, outburst of wrath you need to go to god and say lord give me grace 
there's an interesting thing, and I made a little comment on it the other day on the internet, but um, did you know that no one has ever did or done, I should say, anything to you that made you get angry? Some of you might have read that. I put it up there. No one has ever done anything that made you get angry. You go, oh, yes, they have. No, you chose to get angry. I guarantee you, you did. If there was, if you were in a situation where the exact same thing had done and someone put a gun to somebody else's head and said, if you display any anger, I'm going to pull the trigger. You know what you would do? Assuming it's a person you care about that they've, they've got the gun pointed at. You'd control yourself. You wouldn't show any anger. You'd get your mouth and your heart and your attitude under control real quick because the stakes are high all of a sudden. The problem is we think the stakes are low when we're yelling at our family members or having outbursts of wrath with people in the community or whatever it is we're doing when we're acting as the colloquial way of saying it, like total jerks sometimes when you're doing it. Because we think the stakes are low. We think we can get away with it. You don't realize the stakes are so high you don't even believe it. You discredit yourself. You make yourself look like a fool. You harm your family members. You crush your children's spirits. You know, you offend your spouse, you break the hearts of people that care about you, et cetera, et cetera. And that's why anger abides or rests in the bosom of fools, because a fool doesn't know and doesn't care. And we need to be better than that. Christ has called us to honor him and to serve him. And so Jesus said, if you're angry with your brother without cause, you're in danger of judgment. That sometimes there is a cause. Remember, Jesus said, if your brother trespasses against you uh, and Turn again and says, I repent. What did he say? He said, you shall forgive him. You need to have hearts that are quick to forgive because we've been forgiven. God's anger against us has been satisfied through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. All the anger that was against us because of our just perverse wickedness and rebellion against God. That's what Jesus took on the cross. That was poured out on him. God's justice. It's not that God is just you know, angry all the time. God is a just, righteous God. He hates sin. He knows what it is. He created us to glorify his name and to enjoy him forever. And what do we do? We turn our backs on him. We blaspheme his name. And then we harm our fellow creatures. And we just do horrible stuff. We've provoked his wrath multiple times. Well, why doesn't he just kill us and throw us into hell? Because he saw beyond your sin. He has a plan to redeem you, miserable creature that you are, and me, by the blood of his son being shed for us. Jesus took that wrath of God against you and me on the cross so it doesn't reach you. You, you know, you can say, to use an illustration, he stepped between you and the arrow of God's justice, and it hit him in the heart hard. Christ died for us. And so we have a Savior. If Christ step between us and that wrath of God, the just wrath of God, and we need to be quick to learn to forgive others. Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. If you get angry, maybe it is justified. Maybe someone's done something that is justifying your anger. You can get angry, deal with it, deal with whatever needs to be dealt with. But then don't let the sun go down on you. Don't go around with an angry attitude and, and bitter. Uh, it doesn't serve any purpose. The Bible actually says in Proverbs 22, do not associate with a man of anger. If you know somebody that's given over to anger, has an angry attitude, that's not a person for you to be close to. It says, lest you, you learn his paths or his ways and take a snare to your soul. 
In other words, you'll learn to be that way yourself. It's, it can be a contagious thing. Um, parents need to know this. You know, if we uh, have overmuch displays of wrath in our home or anger, our children can pick up on that and it'll be a snare to their souls. They surely don't need that. So we need to be temperate in our attitude. There is justifiable anger sometimes. But if you've got an anger problem, like I've told people before, if you've got an anger problem, you go, well, what if it's just, what if it's, you know, righteous indignation, justifiable anger? If you've got an anger problem, I will tell you, and I think I can uh, back this up pretty clearly in scripture. If you've got an anger problem, if you've been given over to anger, outburst of anger and horrible words and mean things, God's going to probably not let you find any righteous indignation for about the next 30 years. Okay. So deal with your anger for 30 years. And then maybe if somebody steps on your toe on purpose, then you can go, well, I'm kind of angry about that. Okay, fine. Maybe that's good. But if you've got a problem with anger, deal with it. Get anger out of your life. Paul actually says that in Ephesians, put off anger, get it out of your life. Why? Because anger abides in the bosom of a fool. So don't, first of all, don't hang around with people that are given to anger and don't be a person that somebody would read this verse. That's Proverbs 22 verses 24 and 25. If someone would read that verse and go, Oh, I can't hang around with so-and-so anymore because he's angry all the time or she's angry all the time. By the way, some people use anger as a means of control. All right. Uh, you see this a lot of times with, with uh, children, you know, yeah, not trying to pick on teenage girls here. Okay. But Sometimes, you know, teenage boys can do it too. It's not kind of adults, but we learn these behaviors sometimes in our, in our youth. But the idea, you know, that, well, I can't, I dare not say anything because she'll get angry at us, you know? And so they learn that if they bristle up and start acting like they're going to blow a cork or something, everybody backs away. Like when you see a porcupine start to, you know, wiggle its tail, it's like, uh-oh. So everybody backs off because, it, and so that person learns, hey, you know what, if I display anger, I get to be in control of the situation. And if I don't want to talk about it, if I don't want to do it, if I don't want them to have any authority or control, I'll just act like I'm angry and then they'll be afraid to say anything to me. That's a fool, by the way. Okay. If you're using anger to try to control other people, you need to repent. All right. Because that's really, really wicked. All right. Wives, if your husband comes and talks to you, try not to be angry. Okay. What he says might be kind of dumb sometimes. All right. You might not you think he's brilliant, listen to what he has to say, all right? Don't let your husband be afraid to talk to you. You know, if you had a doctor that, you know, like you found that, well, you know, this person has a real serious illness, I need to talk to him, but I think they're going to get angry if I tell them, so I just won't tell them and offer the solution. Okay, husbands, don't get angry at your wife, okay? Anger abides in the bosom of fools. So that type of anger is a work of the flesh. So we need to recognize that it's for what it is. And so when Paul says, and note this verse in Ephesians chapter four, he does say, be angry. So there are times when anger, but, and by the way, it's plural. I kind of thought that was nice because it's like, is he talking here about corporate anger? That would mean other people would agree that, yeah, this really is offensive. You know, if somebody says, I'm angry about abortion. Okay, you shouldn't be. If you know what it is, it's butchery and murder. You should be angry about that. You're going to find out you're not the only person angry about that. All right. But even there, you don't want your anger to lead you to do things that violate God's law. Okay. We don't fight evil with evil. We use spiritual weapons and the things that God gives into our hands. So when he says, be ye angry. I think there's an idea that if you're in the church, 
and there are things that are offensive to God, it's okay to say that that is unacceptable. You know, an angry continence, it says, drives away foolishness. So there is a time to be angry. That's a command. Be angry, but don't sin. Be angry and do not sin. Get angry at your own sins. Be angry about how flaky you are. Be angry about your lack of prayer. You should get angry about the fact that you're not real serious about the things of God, as you should be. You have a Savior that died for you, and half the time, and I, I'm not trying to chide anybody here. I'm speaking to myself when I say these things also. You know, we have a Savior that died for us, and what's it take to get us to pick up our Bibles or to get serious in prayer? You know, God has to pretty well crush us before we start crying out to him. We've got to have a you know pain and fever before we begin to call on God. It shouldn't be that way. Our hearts should be filled to overflowing with gratitude. So my hope and prayer is that you'll be angry and then don't sin. Be angry about your sin. First of all, deal with yourself. And then if someone says, well, if it's just fault, yeah. Then he also says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Make it short-lived. You know, if you find, well, I'm angry all the time because of what was done to me back in, you know, uh, the year 2002 or something like that. Okay, well, you need to deal with that. You need to go to God. That's a root of bitterness. That's not justifiable anger. If you say, well, I'm still bitter and angry because of what that person did to me. All right, go to God. Don't let that person still control you. And if you're given over to anger because you've been mistreated or hurt or sinned against, take it to God. Ask him to help you. Doesn't mean you're going to say what they did was good. You can do what Joseph did and say, you meant it for evil, but the Lord meant it for good. And ask God to remove a root of bitterness out of your heart. Pretty much all of us, I think, at some point have to do that because we've all had bad experiences when you know, somebody hurt us. But we do need to recognize that if you're carrying it around, it's still controlling you. You're letting a wicked person from years back still control your life. I don't want to give them that myself. I want to go to God and say, Lord, get that out of my life so I can enjoy my salvation and be useful to you. And then note the last thing he says, don't give nor give place to the devil. Nor give place. And that literally means just that, a place for the devil. Why? Because unchecked anger, unjust anger, wrathful people, you're like opening the door wide for the devil. I was talking to brother the other day about this. You know, if you set your table at Thanksgiving and someone said, oh, I see you have a, a blank, uh, you know, a place set, but nobody's sitting there. And you say, well, that's for the devil. Okay. Most people go, what? Okay. If you're carrying around bitterness and anger in your heart, that's what you're doing. You're inviting the devil. Okay. Well, I made a nice place for you, Mr. Devil. Come on in. Okay. The devil's not your friend. He's a snake. And somebody said, well, you know, we got a king cobra somewhere slithering around inside of our house. We haven't been able to find it, but we're not going to worry about it, you know. Uh, really? You would stop everything you're doing if you knew there was some deadly thing slithering around your house. Well, when you go with anger unchecked in your heart and you don't deal with it by going to Jesus, say, Lord, get this filth out of my heart. Please help me. Heal me. Remove this root of bitterness. You're just letting the devil come in and slither around your life, and he—I guarantee you—he'll bite, okay, and he'll poison you and anybody near you. So deal with it, Paul. This is a command, also. So there's three things going on here, actually four. Be angry, first command. Do not sin, second command. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. That's a command. There's three, and then the fourth one is nor give place to the devil. So there's four things he's saying to do here. It all has to do with anger. So if you go, well, I got angry. All right. Was it justified? How did you behave? Did you, you know, well, I got angry and started cussing. Well, that's not the way you handle stuff. Okay. You need to ask God to take that kind of anger out of your life. That's sin. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay. 
you say, well, I got angry because of what my child did. And so, you know, I said words and blah, blah, blah. You know, I've seen that and heard it and stuff. And it's, it's sad. Okay. Get a check on your anger. Some of you guys and, and women also, you can, you can destroy your children by being angry at them unjustly. So, okay. They need to know that if they do bad stuff, mom and dad are not going to be pleased. And if they're young enough, you know, there might be a spanking entailed, but don't spank your children when you're angry. But um, you can let them know, shouldn't get me angry by your behavior. Wait till you calm down and then say, now you're going to get a few squats. Okay. And then give them a hug and let them know you love them and make sure they understand why they're getting spanked. Because if you just see, you know, like we said before, if, you know, you're an adult, they're, they're children, particularly little ones. And if you had somebody that was like 12 feet tall, all of a sudden grab you and start flailing you and you didn't know why, it wouldn't really do much except make you want to escape, okay? Children need to know what it is that they've done that was wrong, and then they need to be disciplined, then they need to be loved and hugged, and then let them know it's over. The reason why I always say, you know, hug your children, if you, if you spank them, hug them afterwards, because they need to know it's over, because what we're telling our children is that when Jesus died on the cross, it was settled. It was over. God's not angry at you now. He loves you. He's going to help you. You might fall under his fatherly chastisement, his fatherly displeasure, but there's no wrath in his dealing with you. So we need to let our children know for the sake of Christ that it's over now. You've been punished. It's done. And then let them know it's okay that we do love them and we expect better things from them. Okay. So they'll learn. So we have these four commands. Don't, don't set a t place at your table for the devil by... And he comes in when you get angry unjustly and you have outbursts of wrath. So I think we've got our walking orders here for us for this week. We know what we need to be praying about. And keep a check on your heart and your tongue and see how this all works out, okay? And if it doesn't, I don't need to hear about it. Go to Jesus, all right? Uh, and just go to him and say, Lord, I need help. I need cleansing. Purge away my anger and help me to have courage. Because the same way, you know, it takes courage to tell the truth. It takes courage to not get angry. Anger is a resort of cowards. Let's not be that way. Let's be brave and stand for our God. You know, it says, quit ye like men. Stand like men for the cause of Christ. May God be pleased to fulfill this in our lives. Let's pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your love, for your kindness, your goodness and grace. We thank you, Lord, that your just wrath against us was satisfied through the death of your son, Jesus Christ when he suffered in his soul and in his body for us on the cross. We thank you, Father. And we pray that you would work in us, Lord, that true holiness that causes us to love others and to be gentle in our approach to others. Deliver us from all bad anger, Lord. Help us to condemn it in ourselves and get it out of our lives and be glorified, we pray. And we thank you, Lord, that we have these wonderful truths upon which to base our prayers, that you, Lord Jesus, died for us and rose again. And you've told us that sin will not have dominion over us because we're not under the law, but we're under grace. So we thank you for that. And we commit ourselves now and all these things into your gracious hands in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. And I believe we have a song to sing. Yes, could we stand, please? What can wash away my sin? Nothing left but blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the love. 
we have opportunity to celebrate the Lord's Supper and we talk about things we ought to be doing and we talk about how Christ has done really everything for us to save us and then we have this supper come to our attention each week or almost every week uh, to remind us why do we have hope? Well, it's because of Christ who died for us and rose again. And I love it that, that this supper was appointed by our Lord Jesus Christ himself. You know, if you like antiques or things, you know, going to a museum or sometimes it's a hands-on place. So you find something that belonged to someone that was either special in your life years ago or it was a, something historic. And you're able to say, wow, this was this was held by so-and-so. You know, I, I have some books that were uh, owned and used by some theologians back in the 1800s. Uh, and they're, they're pretty precious. You know, it's like, wow, you know, Dr. Hodge, you know, Charles Hodge actually had this book in his hand. He was a guy at Princeton a long time ago. And this was his his Septuagint, you know, so it's kind of neat to have that because it's like personal. And when we come to the Lord's Supper, this bread that's here and this cup of wine and the little cups and all this, we do this because one night Jesus, our Savior, reached out, took a loaf of bread and broke it. And he said, here, take heat. This is my body, which is broken for you. And he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. You know, drink you all of it. And it was him personally that did it. Well, we don't have that loaf of bread, and we don't have that cup with the wine in it, okay? But we have the sacrament that he appointed, and that same bread, you might say, in a very real sense, has gone down through the centuries. So when we hold in our hands the sacramental bread of the Lord's Supper, and we take the cup, whether the big one or the little one, we take the cup of wine that Christ provided for us, there's an identification through now almost 20 centuries that what he held that night in a very real sense, we hold. And he told them that night that this pointed to him shedding his blood and his body being broken. So we really do have a fellowship, as we say at the conclusion of the, 
cup that we're doing, is it not the uh, cup of blessing that we bless? Is it not the communion or fellowship of the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not the communion or the fellowship with the blood of Christ or the body of Christ, rather? By the way, he didn't say it was the blood in the body. He said it's a fellowship with it. So that's very important. Okay, but we do have that identification. So this is pretty special. So we're gonna we're gonna dine with Jesus now. He asked us to confess our sins, to search our hearts, and judge ourselves where we have walked contrary to the gospel and sinned against God. Ask for forgiveness, receive it, and then come in and celebrate the Lord's Supper. So let's do that right now. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your love and kindness to us. We thank you for the forgiveness of our sins through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you not only appointed this supper, you fulfilled the reality to which it points. Your body really was broken for us at Calvary's cross. Your blood really was shed for us when you took away our sins by your sacrifice of yourself. We thank you, Lord Jesus. You did it willingly because you loved us and you knew there was no other way we could be saved from hell. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came in and you rescued us from our sins, from ourselves, Lord, from everything that was bad. And we thank you for what you did, Lord. We confess that there was no one but you that could do it. You who are both God and man in one person became, you became incarnate. You took a human nature to yourself, our nature. And you became a real human being so you could represent us. We thank you that you are also God, Lord, throughout eternity. So that in your person, in your humanity, you could bear the infinite eternal wrath of God against your elect people, Lord. So that our sins really would be taken away on the cross, Lord. And that eternal debt that we owe to an infinite eternal God would be fully satisfied. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Nobody else could have done this for us. You're the only one. And you did it. Because of your love. We give you all the glory and the praise with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Bless these elements of bread and of wine, Lord, that you appointed. Father, we ask you to bless them as we set these aside, Lord, and consecrate them in the name of Jesus Christ according to his appointment. And we ask you to bless these elements and bless all those who come, Father. For we ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> 